you gotta let go. Huh? You gotta let go. Look. No, no, I want to go with you. Well, no, no, you can't. Well, but but I want to go with you because. No, we're gonna lose this race. But what if you don't know how to do it? But no, let let go. Okay, but you didn't grab it right. What are you talking about? You didn't grab it right. Well, uh, this this way comes. This way it works. it works. Okay, but but I, I think I can help no, if we I'm, just go. No, I'm just done. I'm done. Okay. The race is still going. Okay, well, you got the baton. Okay, all right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're right, you're right. You're right. You know what? You got this. I trust that you got this. Are you ready? You gonna let go this time? I'm gonna let it go. Okay, okay, here we go. Here we go. All right. Go! Yeah! Come on, let's go, 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 go! All the way around! Run, you got this! Luke! Yeah! Hey, if I ran all the way around, you got to too. Oh, man. Go, Luke! Go, Luke! <laughs> Woo. There he is. We can, tell, we can tell we practiced this a lot. Yeah, that, uh, that was better on paper. <laughs> man. Amen, Dad. <sighs> man, I got to work out, bro. All right, well, good morning. Let's try that one more time. Good morning. Listen, I am super excited this morning for two reasons. Number one, let me get my breath. Holy moly. Thank you. Number one, I'm really excited this morning because uh, in 20 years of ministry, I have never had the opportunity to preach a sermon with someone else. So I am honored to be up here with Luke this morning. Uh, we're going to be sharing the pulpit, but two, um, I'm super excited about this topic because this morning is Senior Sunday, and I want to talk with you, Luke and I both want to talk with you a little bit, if I can get my breath, good Lord, oh man, let's start over, okay, this morning we want to talk to you a little bit about leaving a spiritual legacy for your family. Leaving a spiritual legacy for your family. It's interesting, you know, uh, when you read the Bible, the Bible actually... Let's go forward. There we go. Um, In the little illustration that, that Luke and I were trying to show you, we were just illustrating the point that in God's Word, we're told that we have a duty to instill in the lives of our children the faith that you and I have learned. Passing the baton from one generation to the next. And this week, I was really curious. I was just kind of looking at the Bible, and I wanted to kind of see, what does the Bible have to say about this idea of leaving a spiritual legacy? A few scriptures came to mind. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. You'll remember that the Israelites were about to go into the land of the land. And God says, when you sit down at your tables that you didn't buy or build, when you sit down and enjoy your new homes that you didn't buy or build, when you enjoy your meals, when you sit there with all of your children around you, I want you to teach them about me. So he says these words. He says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today and repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Later on in Israel's history, we see they're very wise Solomon say these words in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. He says, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. 
The context there is not necessarily just talking about wealth, like you and I would think of money. Because when you read the book of Proverbs, what is the greatest wealth that can be passed down to, from father to son? Wisdom, morality, ethics, God's commandments. And then there's this passage over in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, where again it says, Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders that He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. And then one last passage. I'll read this. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It's probably a passage that most of us have heard growing up. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are old, what will happen? They won't depart far from it. All throughout the Bible, you see this emphasis that God puts on parents, on godly parents, godly grandparents, to do what they can to impart a spiritual blessing to their kids. And all throughout the New Testament, you see this same spiritual passing of the baton. When Jesus comes, what's the first thing he does? He chooses 12 men. Why? So that over time, he can spiritually pass the baton of faith to his disciples. But while he was training those 12 disciples, what did he do? He trained them so that they would be the type of people who would disciple others. And so they would disciple others. And so every single generation would have the opportunity to hear the word of God. I'll tell you my favorite story in all the Bible about the passing of the baton. It's the story about the relationship that exists between Paul and Timothy. Because when you really look at that relationship, you can see a very clear picture of how God has called all of us, parents to children, grandparents to uh, parents and to children, older men to younger men, older women to younger women, to disciple and to mentor one another to train each other up in the way that we should go. We first meet Timothy in the book of Acts chapter 16. Paul is heading out on his second missionary journey. And at some point, we don't know when, but Paul comes to a town where he meets a young man by the name of Timothy. Now, Timothy is a believer in Christ. We don't know when he became a believer, probably during Paul's first missionary journey when he established the church there. So in the time that he was gone, Timothy learns about this Messiah. And by the time that Paul comes back, he's halfway through his journey and he meets this young man. And man, this guy just stands out. He doesn't uh, have a traditional mother and father that's Jewish. The mom is Jewish. Lois and Eunice, the mother and the grandmother, they're both Jewish. The father is Greek. So a lot of people believe that he didn't have any spiritual direction from his dad, but the spiritual direction he got came from his mother and his grandmother. In fact, a little bit later on, we're going to read a, a passage in just a few minutes where he says, I know that that faith you have was passed down from generation to generation, that you inherited it from your grandmother and got it from your mom. And Paul comes to this Lystra. He meets him. He's so inspired by him. He says, I want to take you with me. And Timothy's very eager to go. And so what Paul does is because his dad is Greek, he doesn't have a spiritual father. He takes him under his wing and he lets Timothy go on that second missionary journey. And when he starts off, he starts off just as a young disciple, just a young apprentice. But you keep reading the scriptures. There's a 
title that Paul loved to use for Timothy during this time period. He calls him my true son in the faith. He sees him as a little boy, a kid, that he's given the entrusted task of passing on his faith to. And then over time, you see the next season of their relationship together. You can see this later in the the two personal letters that Paul writes to Timothy toward the end of his life. And we call that 1st and 2nd Timothy. And after being with Paul, after being discipled by Paul for several years, you see that not only did Paul teach him biblically about the things that he needed to know about the scriptures and about the Messiah that he followed, but watch this, he also taught Timothy through the life that he lived by the example that he gave Timothy to follow. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he points out that you know what I teach. He says, and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith and my patience, my love and my endurance. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. And one of the things that you learn here about Paul's discipleship of Timothy was the importance that he places on modeling the behavior that you want to see in your kids. Now, I can't tell you how many parents have grown up. You know, you hear kids say, now, parents would always say, do this, but they would do the exact opposite, right? Do as I do, or do as I say, don't do as I do. That's not Paul's philosophy. The best way you teach your children is to live the very principles that you're trying to teach them. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. So lastly, they come to this, we come to this last phase of, of Timothy's journey. And in this phase or season, we get to see this beautiful relationship between Paul and Timothy mature. And we get to see how Timothy has grown into this incredible young man. About 10 or 12 years goes by from the time that he first meets Timothy to the time that he leaves him in Ephesus. And by the time he leaves, at this point in his relationship, Timothy is now overseeing the church in Ephesus. Paul has already helped Timothy appoint elders in the church. So not only is he the spiritual leader of the church in Ephesus, but he's also most likely the spiritual leader of other area churches as well. In other words, when we see Timothy at his full maturation, he's a co-laborer with Paul. He's a co-worker with Paul. In fact, you see that very thing. Paul calls him my co-laborer, my co-worker. So by the time Timothy reaches this point in his life, he has gone from being a son, a student, to being one of Paul's closest confidants as he learns about his life and his teaching. And finally, in the end, he becomes almost like an apostle himself, doing the very same things that Paul is doing. As Paul writes his final letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, which is actually the very last letter that Paul writes before he dies, he realizes that it's time to finally pass the baton. And he knows that Timothy is going to be growing up in a world that's going to be vastly different than the one that he grew up in. And I want to read this scripture to you here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I want you to hear the words of an aged Paul who realizes the necessity of himself to lay down the baton and for Timothy to pick it up. He says, I... Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I can be filled with joy I'm reminded about your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois. 
and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God has given us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So don't be ashamed about the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering the way that I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted unto him until that day. What you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. And guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And then watch this. One more scripture. When Paul gets to the very end of his letter, this very old Paul, this wise follower of Jesus, leaves these final words to Timothy. Literally his final words. Thank you. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct and rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You know, when I think about how these texts apply to us today, one of the things that Luke and I talked about is how there's so many similarities between our culture and where we see our culture going and the culture in the first century. Paul knew that, that after he died that things were going to get really, really, really tough. In fact, the year before Paul writes this letter, Nero Caesar burned down half of Rome and blamed it on the Christians. Things were starting to get really tough. And not too long uh, later on, um, Timothy is going to have to endure persecution as well. So Paul is preparing Timothy to be a follower of Christ in a world. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Paul is training Timothy in a world that is going to increasingly and increasingly become more anti-Christian. The question is, how do you carry your baton in the midst of a culture like that? So let me share with you some, uh, some of the things that I think about as a youth minister, someone who serves young people. I think about the world we're in and the world that, that is that, uh, you know, all that. So 
me show you a little bit of, I'm, I'm a statistics guy. I like to look at numbers. Uh, and so let me show you some statistics that you, you may have seen, you may not have seen, but I think are important to, to recognize. So first of all, okay, these are from a recent research. Number one, uh, from 2007 to 2021, 14 years, Christian affiliation in America dropped from 78% to 63%. That means people who claim their faith as Christian went from 78% to 63%. No, and but here's the thing: they're not going to other faiths as much as no religion rose from 16 percent to 29 percent. Okay, and the biggest drop, if you look on this other one over here, is the Protestant faith. The Catholic faith is a little bit went from 24 to 21, while the Protestant faith—that's all Protestant faith—went from 52 percent to 40 percent. Okay, in America. Uh, and more, the number of people that pray daily went from 58% to 45% in those, in those 14 years. Uh, but look at this. The, uh, it's not that people are playing, praying less. It's that a whole bunch of people have stopped praying altogether. Because we have the weekly, monthly line hasn't changed. They're not going from praying daily to praying weekly they're going from praying daily to not praying at all. Because that, that number, the seldom never, is rising up to 32%. Okay? And they asked them, is religion, asked people, is religion very important to you? And in 2007, about 56% of people said religion is very important. And about 26% said it's somewhat important. Well, that somewhat important doesn't change. But the very important goes from 56% to 41%. That means the majority of people would not say that their religion or faith is very important to them. But 33% have said it's not at all important to them. Okay? And that went up, that's up from 16%. Okay? Uh, the largest single group we have in America, so like what you see in this little graph here, all the blue and the green, the bottom, that's all the different people who claim some version of Christianity. Okay? And then the little orange page over there, that's, that's other faiths. That big purple slice, that's the, the nuns. The no affiliation. No religion, no faith people. And the, the little grace letter there is actually people who either refused to answer or didn't know how to answer. Um, and here's the thing. So that's, that's the largest single group, 23%. Larger than any one Christian group. And the biggest number is among young people. Mm. So you see here, this far left is 18 to 29-year-olds. Then it's the 30 to 49, 50 to 64, 65 plus. And you watch how that, that the largest section, that purple section of young people, that's 36%. 18 to 20-year-olds identify as non-believers. Okay? And that's the largest group out of those that, are, that, that, that make that claim. So, uh, there was a Gallup poll done recently, and I thought this was really interesting. Not in a good way, but it is. The first Gallup poll they took, when they asked, are you, are you a member of a church or, or a mosque or synagogue? Some sort of religious affiliation. Okay? Not just churches, but also other faiths. In 1937, when they first asked this question, the answer was 73%. 
Okay? From 1937 to 1999, that dropped by 3%. I don't know, do the math, 70 years or so, right? I'm not good. You can't ask me to do math. A lot of years, um, many decades. But from 1999 to 2020, uh, 2021, no, sorry, 2020, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2021, went from 70% to 47%. The last two years, 2020 and 2021, um, has been the first time in say they don't attend anywhere for the first time in American history. And we see this drop drastically. So it went from, for in the first, those, those decades, by 3%. And then in the last 20 years, by f- almost 30%. And so this is the situation, okay? And I'm not doing this to scare anybody, but I think we need to be aware of the reality that the world that our kids are entering is different. They're entering, uh, those of, uh, uh, of our kids that grow up in Christian households, and we seek to impart faith to them, they're growing up, growing up in a world where they will no longer be the majority. Okay? Um, so, that's the point of what I'm trying to say here. Again, not to scare anybody, because I want to encourage you. So we're not, we're not trying to, like, this is all, all doom and gloom. I want to encourage you because a few things. Just working, there it goes. Okay. Number one, what we talked about here with the uh, old generations. Don't panic. Don't panic. Here's why I say that. Let go of the baton because listen to the words of Jesus. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I have told you these things, this is John 16, 33, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. That's not a surprise. That shouldn't surprise us. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have what? Overcome the world. Here is what I want to encourage you. We look at the numbers, we start wringing our hands, right? And they go, oh my gosh, this is not good. Things are not going the way we had hoped for our world, for our country. But here's the good news. The future of the kingdom is not in your hands. The future of the kingdom is not in your hands. It does not say that you have overcome. It does not say that the, tr- the gates of hell will not prevail against your church, but God's kingdom. What's our job? We let go. We train, we teach, we love, and then we send. Don't be afraid. Don't panic. It's in God's hands. And God is trustworthy. Right? I like to tell the teens, um, you know, we sit there. There are times when we're sitting around, there's only four or five of us sitting around in a, in a room. And we're thinking, man, this, I remember the days when I was a kid, and we had huge youth groups, and da 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 And I think, I told them, I said, you know what? I hate to see it, but 
if every church in America closed tomorrow, the kingdom of God would continue. And it's not in our hands. Our call is to be faithful. And our call is to pass that baton. So that means those of you who are the younger generations, graduates that are coming up, graduates, and also those who are going to graduate in the next 10, 15 years or so, your call is to pick up the baton. I wonder if you, you be aware of the world that you're going to be growing up in, okay? And I don't want to scare you either. Because in this world, there will be distraction. In this world, there will be trouble. That's a given. Okay? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are our cloud of witnesses? Those who are passing the baton. Since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Here's one thing that, as a youth minister, I want to impart to my students. I want them to keep their eyes on Jesus. I don't want them to look to me. I don't want them to look to any church, organization, or any person or relationship. I want them to look to Jesus. And I want them to understand that their parents are doing the best they can, but they will let them down. Their church tries and wants to be good. Your church will let you down. Just will. I know that well enough. Anyone who's been in ministry knows that well enough. Your government, your country, will let you down. Your spouse, your spouse will let you down. I know that because I let my spouse down all the time. Every person, every other place you put, your, you put your trust and faith will let you down. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because our faith doesn't rest on, on, the, on our church or our parents or our families or our spouses or our friends. Our faith rests in the one who is already victorious, the one who has already overcome. Keep your eyes on him. And the rest will follow. So history and tradition tell us how Timothy lived the rest of his life. That young man who just zealously jumped up at the opportunity to go with Paul on his adventures and learn from him and eventually becoming a true son in the faith and eventually a fellow worker and then a great leader, wound up going and spending the rest of his years in Ephesus. He died in 97 AD and... History, again, tradition tells us that what had happened was is that there were some pagans that were putting on a celebration in the city of Ephesus. And it tells us that as the pagans were about to celebrate the feast called Katagogion, Timothy, meeting the procession, severely reproved them for their ridiculous idolatry, which so exacerbated, exacerbated the people that they fell upon him with their clubs and beat him so dreadful a manner that he expired of the bruises after two days later. So Timothy, in the end, not only picked up the baton that Paul had handed him, 
But he also ran the race. And he won. And in the very end, he was able to say, like his mentor before him, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I've kept the faith. You know why I chose this story this morning? I chose this story because his name is Timothy and my name is Timothy. He's my namesake. The name Timothy means to honor God. And I would say he lived up to his name very, very well. And my prayer is that one day, hopefully, I will live up to that name as well. Another interesting feature about Timothy is that he learned about his faith in God from his grandmother and his mother. I learned about my faith from my great-grandmother and my grandmother. And you know the funny thing about that? We all are in charge of growing a spiritual legacy to hand to our children. But you know what? It don't take a whole lot. It really doesn't. My great-grandmother, man, my grandmother, great-grandmother, they never even finished high school. They were dummies as far as the world standards were concerned. Poor. We lived on a $600 a month social security check, digging in the dumpsters to sell stuff on the weekends. Man, we, we were nobodies, man. In fact, by the time that she took me in at the age of 65, she was so old that she didn't even go to church anymore herself. Nobody in my family went to church, but you know what she had? She had faith in Jesus. And she didn't tell me a whole lot over the years, but she taught me one thing. She said, when you grow up, young man, you need to have faith in Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. And she would tell me why. And she handed me that spiritual baton. Are we doing that for our kids? Are we doing that for our children? Because just like in the days of Paul, you and I are left with a great legacy. And ironically enough, the Bible is not silent about the generation that you and I are in right now. In fact, Paul had these very words to say about the time that you and I are living in. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that not sound like today? Having a form of godliness, there's a lot of churches, but denying its power, the Holy Spirit, having have nothing to do with such people. Parents with kids, I want to leave this. I, just, I don't want to repeat everything, Luke, that you said. I just want to just reiterate a couple things. Parents, what are we doing on a daily basis to ensure that we are growing in us a spiritual legacy that we can pass down to our children? The Bible says, um, well, let me, let, me, let, me, let me just skip that. Let me skip that because we're running short on time. Let me just say this. It's up to us to do what we can, like Luke said. To, to pass that baton to our kids, to instill in them the teachings about Jesus Christ, the values that you and I share. And when the time comes for them to grow up, when that age happens where it's time for them to grow up and be on their own, it is up to us to make sure that we hand them that baton and like Luke said, let it go and put it into the hands of God. And as we were talking this week, somebody said, well, what about us empty nesters? What about the ones who have already passed the baton? Uh, does that mean that we've got nothing else to do? No, you're still in the race. 
And like we did a moment ago, whenever you're watching somebody do relays, when that, when that baton is passed and that teammate starts running, what does the rest of the team do? You cheer them on. So parents with empty nesters, stay in the game. Continue to live a life of example so that not only your children, but everybody else can see the life of Christ living inside of you and pray for your kids no matter how old they are. Keep on encouraging and praying for your kids. And young people, let me say this. I echo everything that Luke said earlier. It is time for you to pick up your baton. Our generation is passing away. Your generation is going to carry the torch of Jesus Christ. It is time for you to make faith your own. It's not your parents' faith anymore. It's not your grandparents' faith anymore. It has to become your faith. But no one remember, there's a whole team behind you encouraging you and cheering you on. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close in prayer. And I have a little, little thing that I've done for you up here. Hold on one second, baby boy. Um, elders, if you would, if you could go ahead, elders, wives, or anyone who feels called to lead a prayer, if you want to just kind of stand around on the outside edges over here, we're going to have an invitation song. But up here, you'll notice I've got, I've got five batons. Now listen, if there's more than five people who come up here and want a baton, I'll buy you one. But let me tell you what these are reserved for. These are reserved for the person this morning that says, you know what, you're right. It is my job to leave a spiritual legacy. And from this day forward, this day forward, I'm going to stand up. And like you said, Andy, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I'm going to do whatever I can, whatever it takes to be a disciplined man myself, to follow Jesus myself so that I can be the best example and leave the best teaching for that next generation. If that is you, then you may come up in a moment and have one of these batons as you pray. And the young person, if you want to stand up and say, you know what, I don't care what life throws at me from this day forward, I am going to pick up that baton and carry it for Christ. If that's you, you may have one as well. Come forward as we stand and sing. Majesty, worship his majesty, 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 majesty,